You're listening to the The Nothing But But The The Tooth Tooth Dentistry Dentistry Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Nothing But The Tooth Podcast. We are on episode two now. This is the second episode of this podcast series. I am your host, Shane Simmons. I am the founder and CEO of SS Consulting Firm, a digital marketing agency that helps grow dental practices. And in this episode of the podcast, we're going to be talking about purchasing your own practice, whether it be your first practice that you're buying or it's your second or your third, we're going to be talking about some of the things that you need to be looking for before making that big investment into a practice, including different things like, are you planning on getting a a scratch practice, you know, starting from scratch? Or are you looking at buying something that already has an existing patient base and something that kind of already has a foundation that you can work with? And we're going to be interviewing Kyle Roth. And Kyle has owned dozens of practices throughout his years as a dentist, but he also owns his own brokerage company for dentists who are making that step and buying their first practice, their second practice, whatever it may be. And Kyle shares some really interesting thoughts on this, and it's going to be of immense value to everybody listening. And one of the things that's really interesting about Kyle before we get into it is he was actually an accountant for 10 years before he became a dentist, went back to dental school. And so uh, he didn't go into dentistry right out of um, right out of high school and right through college right away. You know, he had some experience in some other areas, and I think that's something that actually benefited him and fit him well for this job. So let's get into the interview, and here is Kyle Roth. Started off with full intentions of just owning one practice. Uh, I bought a building as a senior dental student, and while I was waiting for that to be constructed, after I graduated, I worked in a Medicaid office. It was, you know, they saw private patients and Medicaid patients, but there was a lot of Medicaid patients, and that was very rare in North Carolina at the time. Uh, I enjoyed it. I worked, they worked me to death there, but I made really good money, and it was, it was a long drive. It was like 99 miles each way to work and back. Uh, as my office was being constructed, I started as my office opened, I was spending a few days here and there uh, until the patient base grew and I was going back and forth to the other job. And I got to a point where I decided to see some Medicaid patients of my own while my private practice grew. So I said, I'd rather be, you know, the reimbursement for Medicaid patients was a lot less, but I said, I'd rather be making something and instead of watching TV and waiting for my practice to grow. So I started doing that and there was so few people in the state of North Carolina that were seeing Medicaid. The newspaper actually came to me and they, they wanted to interview me. They said, well, why are you doing this? I said, why wouldn't I be doing this? It gives me a chance to learn, to practice. I'm getting paid, maybe not what I could be making with private practice, but it gives me something until my private patient base grows. I'm not going to be doing this forever, however. So of course, my Medicaid patients, they saw that in the paper. They said, Doc, what are you going to do with us? And I said, I have no idea. So what I ended up doing was opening a separate practice just for the Medicaid patients and kept my private patients in, you know, in a separate practice and grew it that way. And 
The private patient base grew. It, it turned out fantastic. But the Medicaid pay, uh, practice grew exponentially to the point where I couldn't even see everybody. We were busy six days a week with two doctors from day one without any advertising cost whatsoever. And I decided to open another one in a rural area, continued growing my private patient base, and I grew a few other little small Medicaid offices. And uh, it just took off from there. It's, I had everything from a mobile dental unit. I had the most beautiful de mobile dental unit in the world uh, at one time. And uh, I ended up with 33 practices. I never had 33 practices at one time. Most of the time, I'd always give my associates a chance to buy the practice that they wanted to own their own. And more often than not, they took me up on it and they bought the practice and uh, it was a win-win for everybody. So mm -hmm. here I am 33 practices later and uh, I've got five remaining practices and I'm enjoying that number. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a very easy number to deal with. It's a, I have a brokerage company, a dental brokerage company that I started uh, 14 years ago and it's growing like crazy now. And I'm really having a lot of fun with that. And, uh, you know, I, I, I can't be happier with the career I've chosen. It's, it's been wonderful. What was the most number of practices that you owned at one time? I think probably about nine practices is the most I ever owned at one time. They kind of, they, they came and went. Uh, I'd buy it. I'd grow it up. The, I was an adjunct professor at UNC School of Dentistry. And my students would come. They'd want to work with me after they graduated. And I always give them an opportunity, but most of the time they didn't want to be part of a big group practice. They wanted to own their own thing at some point. So why wouldn't you want to buy a practice that already had a good cash flow where you already knew the patients? And I always gave them a discount on the practice. I gave them the best deal ever. So it, it made sense for all of them to purchase the practice. And it was good for me too. They built the practice up and I made a few dollars selling it at the end. And it was fun for me. That was always more fun than actually running the practice day to day. Yeah, it's like building it up, getting all that. That's the hard part, right? Is, is building it up, getting it to that point. And then from there, you are you know, allowing somebody to you know, purchase it, take control of it. And all they have to do is just sustain that growth that's already been built uh, previously, which really brings me into my next question. And that is, for those, you know, young, maybe it's a younger dentist or maybe it's someone who's been an associate for, you know, 10 years or so and, and they're thinking about purchasing their own practice. I mean, what are some things that they really should have in place or is there you know, some systems that they need to be aware of to, to make that happen and really grow that, that practice that they are, that they're purchasing? Well, there's a few things, I guess. If you're asking me if they're an associate and are you asking me which skills do they need to have or? Yeah. I mean, how is being just, you know, an associate dentist where you, where you go in, you kind of, you know, take care of your patients, you kind of do the job day in and day out versus being a, an owner. What's, what's that difference like? Well, here, here are some of the things I would suggest. One would be 
when you're an associate, make sure you're paying down as much debt as you possibly can before you become an owner. Uh, it's difficult in those first few years. You better be lean and mean and instead of buying BMW, BMWs, pay down your, your, your school debt if you've got some uh, and any other debts, any credit cards. Just run lean. Uh, as an associate, I would take any continuing education that's made available to me. Anything the company's gonna pay for, take advantage of it. Especially the big courses like uh, Invisalign, Six Month Smiles, uh, get some surgery classes under your belt, some endodontic courses under your belt. For sure, you need to know how to do implants these days. Um, I would also spend some time as an associate with the management. Tell them you'd love to learn uh, and you know, ask them to be your mentor just a little bit. Not only being mentored by the dentist, if there seems to, if there's a senior dentist there, not only be mentored by the senior dentist, but also be mentored by the office manager. Sit in and when she's working on payroll, or sit in when uh, they're doing interviews and get to know what kind of questions you can ask in that interview and what you can't. Um, Find out what type of marketing they do that's successful and what's not successful. Learn about internal marketing, external marketing. There's just so much to learn. So I would say be a sponge uh, and don't be a know-it-all when you, when you graduate because you don't know anything. You know the basics of dentistry and you might know how to, uh, clinically you might be fine, but there's a lot more when you own the practice it's, it's that first practice is the hardest work in the world. It's the most difficult thing in the world. Uh, I, I talk about this all the time with you know, different dentists that I'm friends with. And it's, it's why aren't we teaching more of the business side of, of owning a practice and the business side of dentistry in dental school? I mean, it seems like it is this common conversation that is always happening in, in our industry. And what, what have you seen, Kyle? I mean, from you know, what you learned in dental school, obviously you have all the clinical things that you have to get down while you're in school, but when you get out and, and you're in the real world, is it just finding mentors and who's done it? Or is it learning from you know, failures and experiences? How did you do it? Well, I would say, one of the reasons that the dental schools don't spend a lot of time is they don't have the time, the support or the knowledge to teach business classes. Their, their number one priority is passing, getting the students to pass the national boards and to do well in the national boards compared to other schools. Uh, they will give you, we had a little, a small business elective in there, but it's difficult as a student to really pay attention if you haven't been in the working world or own your own business, because a lot of times the sum total of you working in the summers is cleaning off the sneeze guard at a Golden Corral restaurant or something, you know, it's just, it's difficult for you to put yourself in that position until you're actually in the position. Uh, so I, I think, like I said, their first priority is to get you through the national boards, get you to do well and get you out there. Um, the other thing is some of the some of the professors that try to teach the dental the business electives have 
not run their own business. They're sharing the knowledge they've learned, but they've never run their own dental practices before. You mind if I ask one thing that you learned, uh, you know, when you started that practice, you talked about how, how hard it is owning that first practice. Was there one major learning experience that you had that you could pass on to someone who's maybe in that position or, you know, soon to be in that position? I learned a few things. One, I wasn't paying people enough. I really, I relied on the data that was supplied by my accountant on how much to pay hygienists and assistants and front desk people in my area. And it turned out the data was wrong. I would have, I hired three good people. And if I took a day off, they'd temp in different offices and they would be lured away by this guy's not paying you enough money. Uh, you can make more mo money with us. So I got people snatched away from me all of the time. I ended up with a, an office full of temps. I was an answering my own telephone at the front desk and trying to be my own assistant for a while. It was unbelievably tough. Yeah, that was a disaster, just so you know. How, so how long did you did that go on before you realized uh, you know something something had to change you had to pivot? Yes, I immediately just spoke with other colleagues and asked them how much they were paying, and realized I was really kind of grossly underpaying everybody. Uh, so I had to make some adjustments and pay everybody a lot more, and it was not difficult. It was not easy at that time because. Cash flow in a brand new business, as you know, is tough. And I was still working in another office, in the Medicaid office, and all of that money I was making, was I was bringing that over to the private practice, and it was supporting that private practice. So it's a, uh, it's a real nail-biter sometimes if you try to start a practice from scratch. That's why I would highly advise buying a practice that's been in business that has a good cash flow already. You're buying their cash flow. You're buying some certainty. Yes, you're paying more money, but it uh, it will help you sleep at night. Yeah, it's kind of that peace of mind aspect to it, and uh, probably prevent a few stomach ulcers as well. <laughs> that's right. That's uh, absolutely right. Well, well, let's talk. You know, from a marketing perspective, you know, obviously the, the, these are questions that I get all the time. And it's, you know, what are some, in your opinion and your experience that you've had to, to growing your practice, if it's a newer practice or you're in a newer location, what are some must-haves that dentists should have um, to be successful from a marketing standpoint, Kyle? So one of the things that I did is I always had business cards with me. I would absolutely go into the community. I would go to restaurants. I would go to churches, I would go to bars, I would go wherever, and I'd always have business cards, and I'd always introduce myself to the general manager of the restaurant, say hello, and people would always overhear us, and they'd ask for, they'd say, hey, you're a dentist in the area? I need, I need a new dentist, and I always had a card. I would also say that one of the most important things is to have an amazing internal marketing program. So it's not just external marketing, it's internal marketing. Make sure that happy people are always out there putting reviews on Yelp and Google. Uh, if you've got happy patients, make sure that you 
ask them to send their friends and family. We want great patients just like you. Um, let your facility and your people be, help you do your internal marketing. Uh, have amazing looking uniforms. Have it very clean. Have it state of the art. External marketing, it's a lot different than it used to be. The, the total sum of external marketing used to be yellow pages and hang a sign. And that's completely changed. It's a, it's a much more saturated market now. You've got to be much more marketing savvy. Uh, in addition, of, of course, you have to have a website, of course. But you've also got to use SEO. You've got to look at uh, getting organic clicks in there. You've got to think about uh, pay-per-click advertising. You do need to do social media updates. And that's on everything. That's on Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn. You've got to do as much blogging as you possibly can so that you appear to be an expert in the field. You've got to evaluate whether direct mail, TV, radio, billboards work in your area. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. Uh, a lot of that depends if you're a rural area um, or an urban area. Different media forms have worked differently in, in different locations, okay? I've spent a lot of money on billboards in some area and I've come up with thousands of patients. And in some areas, billboards brought nothing to me, you know? Same goes with uh, TV and radio. I've wasted a lot of money on radio, I'll tell you that much. And sometimes with television ads, they've been a waste. But uh, you've gotta find what works in your market, stick with it, and keep it going month after month after month. There's a tremendous expense in marketing to do it right. But if you want to keep your patient base growing, um, the external marketing is important. So one thing to, to look at marketing, Kyle, as you know, some people look at it as kind of a, a cost and an expense, but I mean, if you're doing it right, I mean, it's an investment, right? It's an investment that should be returning you way more than what you're putting into it no matter what you know you may be paying i mean is that kind of the way that you've looked at it and one of the ways that you've you know been able to be successful absolutely it's it's a necessity really it, when i first graduated it was really frowned upon the, the clinical professors would say no you never market it's attorneys do that and they've given uh, law a bad name but at this point especially in the crowded urban areas where you've got dentists on every street corner, you've got to do marketing and you've got to do marketing better than everybody else. So you have to have a clear marketing plan and you need to work with somebody that really knows what they're, do what they're doing. There are lots of so-called SEO experts out there, uh, search engine optimization experts that'll tell you they'll get you to be at the first page of Google. Um, and they might do it briefly. But if you don't keep on it, you're quickly going to fall back off that first page of Google. If you even make it to that first page of Google. I have never been able to make it that far. I live in an area where there's a lot of people that are tech savvy and it's a real fight to do, to get on the first few pages of Google. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. Great advice. Well, one of the things I do want to touch on that you mentioned in, in, your, in your article that I read in Den Entrepreneur was the, you know, we've talked about, okay, some of the obstacles, some of the things that you have to deal with when, when opening a practice, some of the stress is there. But you talk about, you know, the unlimited cap of income that the dentist can have 
who owns their own practice or practices. You really open up this whole new opportunity where there's, there's really not much of a ceiling versus being, you know, an associate at another practice. And it's not for everyone. And you mentioned that. And I thought that was something really um, well put from you. But how important is that for the dentist who does want that kind of unlimited ceiling, who wants to take the extra step? How important is it for them to think, yes, they have to be, you know, a clinical badass, but they also have to have that entrepreneurial mindset, right? I don't think they need to be a clinical badass. I think they need to be quick and I think their work needs to be good, but it's amazing. A patient's perception of the dentist is how good of a listener you are, how nice of a guy you are. And if they can get out of your office pain-free, as long as you're a good dentist, you don't have to be a badass. What's more important, is you have to be passionate. You have to have a clear vision on how you want to run the practice. And you might not have a clear vision on how you want to do that immediately, but that's why you take lots of continuing education. That's why you do lots of reading. Your vision will get sharper as time goes on, and your vision may change a little bit as, as mine has over and over, and it still changes. Uh, passion is one of the most important things. You need to love what you do and you need to be passionate about getting better about what you do every day. Uh, I would say that some of the best dentists I know, it's not because clinically they're the best, it's because they're successful because they're able to sell, for lack of a better term. They're able to get patients to accept their treatment plan. They're better salesmen, they could be salesmen if they weren't dentists, they could be great salespeople. Um, they are able to talk to the patient about the treatment plan and get them to accept treatment. That's the most important thing. Um, a good entrepreneur is always gonna question how to do things better. You need to be optimistic. You need to be risk tolerant. Now more than ever before, opening a dental office in the past was a piece of cake. Uh, the profit margins were so amazing that anybody could do it. Now you've got to be a little bit of a businessman. Uh, you've got to execute, you need to be able to make decisions, get feedback, adjust things, and keep on moving. And uh, as long as you can make decisions, whether they're right or wrong, you need to be able to make that decision. But uh, I would have to say that your ability to get along, to be a good listener with a patient, to be involved in the community, um, and to always look for ways to grow your facility, to make it the best it could ever be, to have the staff looking 100%, both with the clothing that they're wearing, but to make sure that they're educated and they can communicate thoroughly with the patient. The staff, will sell more dentistry than the doctor does because the staff spends more time than, with the patient than the doctor does. So it's amazing, it's, it's important to have staff that are good salespeople, they're able to talk about the treatment plan in a way that the patient understands and is, is willing to accept. Well, uh, wrapping this up kind of, Kyle here, uh, we like to kind of leave our listeners with, you know, two or three 
summaries or tips that uh, they could, you know, go right away and start taking action on. So if you had, you know, three tips that you would give that, that, that dentist who's looking to make the leap, go out on their own, purchase their own practice, um, summarizing, what would that be? One thing I would say that's more important, that's been more important to me uh, than anything else was continuing education. Anything that, as an associate, anything that would have paid for, I would absolutely take those courses. But even after I went on my own, I just invested in myself over and over and over again because I had positive reinforcement every time I would take a course, I would come back and I would be more successful. I would be better able to take care of a patient and I would make more money. Uh, I would also say, number two, get yourself in a good financial position before you take on that office. Make sure your debt's paid off. Make sure that you, I don't care if you're driving an old, you know, your dental school college car, stick to it as long as you can, as long as it's running. Uh, just get yourself in an amazing financial position before you get in there. You, it's, it's, it can be scary getting into a dental practice the first time, but you can make yourself financially better prepared. Uh, and three, I'd just say, spend as much time with dental mentors that are working at the associateship you're at. Spend time with the office managers Take an accounting class. Make yourself more uh, business savvy so that you're ready to take on the challenge when you do have the office. Know what you're doing. Spend some time with payroll. Learn something about accounts receivable. That's a big thing. Uh, there's so many times you get yourself into, into trouble with accounts receivable. You get behind because you're trusting your people at the front desk to take care of it and they might not be taking care of it. You need to know when there is a problem and what to do. No, that's excellent. Well, Kyle is the founder of Encompass uh, Integrated Healthcare Consultants. And Kyle, why don't you well, tell us a little bit about that since it fits perfectly into what we've been discussing here today. About 14 years ago, I sold five of my practices to a larger group. And it was a brutal process. The, the group was way better prepared to deal with the sale of the practice. They had a staff of attorneys. They, I had one attorney that would look like he was falling asleep half the time during the, the uh, proceedings. Uh, and I really, got myself in a little bit of a pickle getting through that it was very difficult and I learned so much I had a broker that was not taking good care of me and he really wasn't even present at the closing and um, I just felt like I could do so much more I had 10 years of accounting experience I had the dental experience now and I really thought I could help people so I went out there and said, you know what, I'm going to be a dental broker. And I got my first listing and within 13 days, I sold my first practice, closed on the first practice. So, and that's never happened since then that quickly, but it, uh, I was rewarded and I said, you know what, I really want to do this more. 
So it's been more or less a hobby over the years. It, it's been growing very slowly. Uh, and recently, I've picked up an amazing guy. He's a young guy with lots of energy. And we've been working on growing it. And we are quickly becoming one of the largest brokerage companies in the United States. We've banded together with some of, we have strategic partnerships with some of the other large brokerage companies. So essentially, we have the biggest pool of buyers in the country right now. And it's wonderful. It's, uh, we've got practice listings from Texas to New Jersey. Uh, we are all over the eastern half of the United States at this point and growing. And uh, I love it. And it gives me an opportunity too. I will say that I've purchased a few of the practices that were listed for sale. Uh, I just saw an opportunity I, I couldn't pass up. So I ended up buying them, renovating them, and growing them for a few years. And sometimes I keep them and sometimes I don't. But it's just presented a lot of opportunities that I couldn't say no to. Excellent. And, and how can people find you or, or Encompass Dental if they would uh, want to reach out? They can reach us by looking at our website at www.encompass-ihc.com. Uh, and we have an Encompass Facebook page. They can look under Encompass Kyle Roth and they can find me there too. Excellent, Kyle. Well, anything else that you want to add that, that I didn't touch on here? I would say that if anybody is looking for help, uh, any suggestions whatsoever as an associate before they buy a practice, or if, if they're interested in buying a practice and they want me to look at that practice as just a uh, buyer's rep, I can take a look at that practice. I can probably save them a lot of money and maybe even a lot of headache by taking a look at that practice before they go in there. Well, definitely get a hold of Kyle. If you're purchasing a practice that that's something you can't pass up on. And that's again, something that you're really building your future and the future of, of your family when, when you're making that move. So well, Kyle, thank you so much for being on the podcast here. And we're definitely looking forward to seeing everything that you're doing and, and looking forward to hearing more about uh, encompass. There's a lot of valuable information there from Kyle, and what it comes down to is you've really got to do your research, do your homework, find someone who has done this before, who has been in a situation where they've bought their practice, because a lot of times, you know, we make mistakes, we're, we're human, right? And so we have to learn from those mistakes, and there are people who can teach us kind of the ways um, without us having to make a big mistake that's going to cost us a lot of money and a lot of headaches. And so uh, you heard how you can contact Kyle, and I recommend you do so. He's a great guy to talk to, and also a great company with Encompass. So, we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Nothing But The Tooth podcast, and we will be back here next week with an interview with Dr. Adam Kimowitz, one of my favorite dentists out there, talking about how he closes more implant cases and how you can close more cases as well. So we'll have him on the podcast next week. Otherwise, we hope you can subscribe and leave a review to the Nothing But The Tooth podcast on iTunes. Let us know how we're doing. And if there's any subjects that you would like for us to talk about, we would love to hear from you. So have a great week, everybody, and we'll be talking to you next week.